All right, everyone, welcome to Tonic Discussions, episode two. Today, we're talking about another controversial issue, as we'll probably continue to do until we run out of them and can talk about more mundane things. Today, we're talking about uh, trans stuff. So probably talking about transsexuality and identity a little bit, but maybe talking about the relationship between transhumanism. Who knows where it'll go? But we're going to take a, a bit of time getting into that issue because of recent controversies, especially with uh, Budweiser. Uh, and, you know, without further ado, uh, does anyone have any opening ideas as to why this is such an issue in the cultural zeitgeist? Uh, well, I can start, I guess. Um, I think, well, for me, I think the first thing we have to re recognize when we talk about trans anything is that we're looking at a whole range of phenomena, not just one thing. Like, even if we only focus on the adolescent version of the mania, we have a bunch of different variables and dynamics that are in play. Um, you know, how much of it is a genuine mental illness? How much is a viral fad? How much is youthful rebellion? Um, how much is a tool to gain woke social status or even to armor themselves against woke, woke attacks? You know, I mean, like there's a lot of, um, you know, you know how it is to be a young adolescent or a, or, or a teenager. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. How much is a weaponized form of Munchausen by proxy, you know, by a PSYOP of some sort? How much of it is brought to you by Pfizer or brought to you by Monsanto? You know, this, this Hydra has a whole lot of heads. And, um, and I think, and, and this may be controversial, but how much of what we're seeing is something more like raw demonic energy, like a weapon wielded by agents that exist in, I don't know, the same liminal space as minds or souls, or, or, maybe, even, or maybe even a physical being that's difficult to perceive as, you know, it's, it's like subatomic particles. I won't harp on that. <laughs> that's my thing. But I think it is something to consider, um, given like the, the suddenness of this, you know, I mean, we talk about the death drive and we try to come up with a bunch of rational cause and effect explanations for that. And I'm not saying that there isn't more readily apparent evidence to consider there, you know, including psyops and, and whatnot. Um, but suppose we were to take, I don't know, symmetry as a fundamental property of reality, which, which I do. And I think maybe that's the only property we can understand as living segments of it. Then I think we also have to take seriously the idea that the mirror opposite of life is an inertia and it's not equilibrium. The opposite would be something like uh, an anti-life force, something that actively tries to achieve that state of maximum equilibrium or, or inertia the same way that life tries to escape it. And how that relates to trans, I think you, you can see the whole phenomenon as more than just a trend or a planned op. I think, I think we have to seriously consider the idea of some kind of a mass spiritual assault and one that's amplified by our global communications networks and other you know, modern tools and toys. I mean, if, if demons exist in the way that I think they do, then that would they'd certainly they'd certainly use those networks those devices as backdoors to the psyche, or at the very least as distractions while they're doing their their break-ins. I mean, you know, some people who study possession as a, a paranormal phenomenon tend to think of them as Dracula, you know, where the human mind is like a house party that's invitation only. But I think that there are probably other methods. Like if you look at what happened to there's a British criminologist named Richard Hoskins that everybody should look into his story. 
And this is a man who wound up having a sex change in his 40s, uh, operate, you know, after years of investigating cases of ritual human sacrifice. And I know that Stone Age herbalist did a great write-up about that one. And it's fucking disturbing on a whole shitload of levels. I mean, Hoskins is, you know, and he's only one of like many really strange and tragic accounts of detransitions that I've read about these past few years. I mean, you know, the way these people suffer, it's much more than like Cronenberg body horror. It's, it's like, it's like a mythological torture of the old gods, you know, and, and even there, it's like Prometheus got off easy, you know, it was only his liver. Um, you know, and, I, and they're just absolutely tormented in body and mind on a daily basis. And it's just the most lonely and broken people you can imagine. And, and most of them were just callously abandoned by all of those authorities who convinced them to take it, to take that step in the first place. It's really sick. Um, and, the, and the moment the damage was done, they just got ghosted, you know, and that's the kind of evil that makes me wonder if there's something more than politics and profit behind this. You know, they've, they've literally been, they've literally been cut off, not just from the pleasures of sex, but from genuine romantic relationships. You know, the trans woman can't get down with straight guys or gay guys because the straights think he's gross. And he lacks the tools for gay. And the same goes for the trans man. I think that's why you see so many of these ex-men and ex-women couple because they're the only ones that will have each other at that point. And probably not for long because they still lack the tools to get the job done. You know, and then there's all these studies that show suicide rates of these people who get these Frankenstein surgeries. They don't drop, not appreciably. You know, and I have a feeling that, that it's a bit of a fun with numbers artifact, you know, like that the real picture would show even more suicides among these mutilated people. Because at the end of the day, it's an insanely cruel thing that was done to them at a time when they were probably very weak. And it was done to them with a smile on a parade, you know. And that social cheerleading for trans, I think, is the other half of the puzzle, which I think we have to address separately. But I, I've talked a bunch already, so let me pass the mic to anyone who wants it. Luke, John, I know you've, you've, we've written about many of the same things when it comes to this. I mean, is there... I don't know, man. I think we can stop recording now. You pretty much uh, that was not awesome. the problem. That like, was great. Right. That was awesome. So much there. You, One you, thing you, I that, that was an incredibly comprehensive overview of the of the issue, and yeah, man, I remember that um, that article by Stone Age Herbalist. That was incredibly terrifying. This, so I think this, there's so the back the background there for listeners who might not uh, know about it is that this guy, he wasn't just like looking into ritual murders. It was quite specifically um, ritual murders uh, involving witchcraft, uh, like African witchcraft. And that exactly. aspect of his um, career started when he was doing, was it anthropological work, I think, in Africa? And he got mixed up with this stuff there and I think was told that he'd, been cursed or something as a result of that by like one of the local witches and um then when he went back to the uk because of his pre-existing uh knowledge base surrounding that when nigerian immigrants started doing these really horrific uh child sacrifices um using african children smuggled into the uk for precisely that purpose uh the uh, constabulary uh, retained him as kind of like an expert to investigate these crimes. Um, so it just kind of like followed him throughout his life. 
And then, yeah, it drove him off the edge and he ended up transitioning and just like, you know, just like the the psychic pain of encountering these things broke his psyche. Well, and so, you know, you can see like, that's kind of a very acute, horrific example of maybe something that a lot of people are experiencing right now. We're in this evolutionarily novel environment as uh, the Weinsteins would have it. Um, and this creates quite a lot of friction with our instincts, you know, like our, uh, like nothing really makes sense to people. And there's this constant low level stress um, that makes people want to escape who they are. So then they go on the internet and they become someone else. And then some of them get really sucked deep into that. They start LARPing as something completely other than what they are thinking, you know, I can escape uh, from this um, horrible life if I become this other person, right? And of course it doesn't work. Like the further you go deep into that, the more pain and suffering you have. That's why the suicide rate is so incredibly high for post-op transsexuals. Because they realize, like after they've done, after they've like severely mutilated themselves, like like oh, I'm I'm not a real girl after all, uh, and it all kind of comes crashing down to them. And if you were to like look at this from an actual demonic perspective, you know what are demons doing? Well, they're eating pain or eating psychic suffering, right? So they want to create conditions that maximize that suffering if they're somehow outside of time or sideways in time, uh, you know, they could take a very long view of things and, you know, have lead people down paths that cause very small amounts of suffering at any given time. Um, and you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're moving towards something good. And all the while it's like just leading you towards this huge payoff when it, it harvests you. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I said anything that Mark didn't say there. That was more of just kind of an expansion, my my riffing on it. Anyone else want to have a, have a go? Yeah, Daniel, did you, did you want to say something first? Oh, no, I was just going to say, and this, Luke or Harris, you made, or any of you made, was it Sartre that had that whole statement about existence precedes essence? And this maybe just like, uh, to tie it into Mark's the, spiritual theme, like, you know, whatever spirit was behind that brand of existentialism you don't have an identity you get to create it for yourself that's your only identity is having this burden of freedom to choose your own identity it seems like this is kind of the reductio ad absurdum extreme of that you know sentiment yeah yeah it wasn't a, what was it what was it mark said about uh, i think it was mark said being is prior to consciousness or something like that or no that's that's the, the traditional view but but that uh, consciousness is prior to being um, or to existence. I can't remember the exact quote, but, um, but yeah, that idea that essentially you create, we create our own identity, society creates us, there's nothing intrinsic to us. And that makes, that makes, um, you know, human nature a lot more malleable than it is in reality. Um, which I think that kind of world you probably underlies a lot of this, um, <clears throat> Probably, it probably provides the, some of the initial conditions for for this kind of thing to take place. But one of the things that I was wondering um, 
thinking about when Mark was talking is he laid out all these possibilities, um, you know, like a psychogenic illness, an actual mental illness, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm wondering in, you know, I'm not a huge history buff, but I can't remember any previous time in history for a similar phenomenon taking over. Now, maybe there's an underlying, an underlying, um, you know, psychological reality, like some kind of hysteria that can take multiple forms. And this is just the form it's taken today. But I find it, I find it curious that this seems to be, seems to me to be a relatively new phenomenon, like uh, something that hasn't really happened before. And I think maybe part of the reason for that is that the, the technology, you know, the, the medical technology and the metal, medical methodologies now allow for you know at least the appearance of an actual um sex change operation whereas previously you know that hadn't been possible so if you know you probably wouldn't have had wouldn't have had something like this a hundred years ago 200 years ago or a thousand years ago so so there's yeah, that, I say but that it's it's, still, it's, i still it's, don't think it's possible though it's it's not it's still not possible yeah because yeah. we're not in the realm right. of possible we're in the realm of cosmetics Mm -hmm. no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, I mean, to like to to really do it, like, you would have to be able to dissolve the body the way a butterfly's or a, a caterpillar's body dissolves inside the cocoon, and then even mm -hmm. switch out the DNA, you know, the the Y chromosome for the X chromosome, or vice versa, in every single one of the cells, and then reconstitute it. Uh, as um in, in in the the form of the opposite sex and uh oh maybe i'm just being technologically pessimistic here but i don't think we're gonna have uh transmogrification cocoons uh of that sophistication anytime in the next couple of years no that's the problem is oh. it's natural to what you know your entire being you know uh so i i'm curious does anyone I think what Mark and what everybody said so far, I think resonates with every, everyone, but is there anyone that wants to try to steel man the idea that for some people uh, going through any part of this process is appropriate, whether it's uh, just real life experience and changing the way that you present and dress versus using hormones that have the risk of, you know, sterilization uh, up to and including surgery. Are there instances where, uh, this is appropriate or is it always something where, you know, fundamentally you're chasing something that you can't have. And so it's going to not end well, you know, I'm, I'm very libertarian in my mindset. And so that whole, you know, do what you will, but accept the consequences as long as you're not initiating force is kind of central to the way I see things. But at the same time that gets into enabling people, um, to do things that aren't in their interest. And so like, you can at least say what you think and share your candid thoughts, but that's perceived as threatening and violence and, um, and so on. So I think that's where this all gets so complicated because I think we all kind of agree that if there are any applications, they're incredibly limited, but do, do any of you think that there are certain applications and instances where using hormones, using surgeries in order to affirm uh, gender dysphoria into 
you know, to or I guess as a strategy of resolving gender dysphoria, um, so that somebody can continually present more easily as uh, the opposite sex. I I would my sort of instinct is to say that like you know it ultimately it's an extreme form of body modification and humans have been doing that for as long as we've been Homo sapiens. Um, if someone wants to do that, like they genuinely want to do that, like I'm I okay you know uh, where I think the problem lies is in the lionization of that as something extremely praiseworthy, like leading people down that path when, you know, it's going to cause all sorts of problems for them later on. And they're almost certain to regret it because it's so irreversible. You know, it's a lot more than ultimately, you know, getting a tattoo or your lip pierced or something. Um, And then being required, like, and this is, I guess, maybe not so much the case in the U.S. where you have a privatized healthcare system, but in uh, a lot of other countries, you know, it's the taxpayer who ultimately is funding it, which is another kind of issue. Um, you know, if I want to go and get a tattoo, like, I pay for that myself. You know, it's a cosmetic thing. Uh, but yeah, maybe I. Oh, good, but Luke. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to try to steel man it, it a, a little bit more um, because, I mean, historically, um, this idea, I think, has to do um, with, you know, the, the basic fact that we humans, we kind of occupy like an in-between space, right, between like the, the animal world and, and the higher world, if you will. And in any case, there's a clear distinction between humans and animals um and of course part of our like this part of this distinction is that we are conscious and that we can we have a, a mind that can actually um take decisions and is way more independent let's say from you know from from our programming and uh, the material world if you will than for like lower animals so i think um uh that's what people kind of realized and and some people just you know in the in the 60s and 70s like um were in this sort of um, intellectual battle against what you know we might call like essentialism um you know it's become a slur but uh, you know the, the extreme version of that might be some kind of theory that says, you know, we are basically all just programmed by our genes. We don't have free will. And we're just like, you know, like this kind of materialist, uh, you know, view. And I think there's a certain dialectic going on and and people have, and uh, perhaps rightfully so, um, try to emphasize a bit the the, the mind aspect of, of our existence and the fact that we, we are more independent uh, from, you know, from, from our programming, from our, the material world. Uh, than let's say lower animals and and that's essentially what makes us human and uh, and i think that the whole gender thing um tie kind of ties into that because uh i mean why not um you can see how you can consciously decide you know to to be more feminine or to be more masculine for example or you can uh consciously adapt different roles so so there is some fluidity let's say in that and um, so, so that's where the idea, I think, comes from that it's even possible, you know, to to kind of switch gender and uh, and that sort of thing. And 
obviously like this has a taken a life of its own and it's it's come now it's gone to like extremes and uh, and uh, what john said about the celebration aspect i mean this it, it also it, it comes from this um this enemy right this uh hostility towards like what they call essentialism so it's it's kind of like it rallies your troops right and so you get this affirmation going and everything is great about it and you influence people to that degree but uh, yeah to to steel man that um i think um in in rare cases um i don't see why it shouldn't be like uh, a possibility that there are like some people who actually for whatever reason uh might can maybe talk about that but uh just completely feel like their gender identity doesn't match with you know with their biology there's some disconnect between mind and matter let's say and uh, it might be possible in in very few exceptional cases and uh, it might even be but that's a kind of a different question but it might even be that for some of them it's it might be a good idea to do some kind of uh, you know medical procedure as you as you put it grand uh, to that might make life a little easier for them and uh, it used to be that this was done after like long therapy sessions you know long a long process um you could just do it willy-nilly and uh so yeah wh why not i would say um as long as it is uh within strict limits as long as there is like um you know, is not promoted or encouraged necessarily. Um, yeah, so that's my attempt to kind of steel man well, the whole thing a little bit. I'll add a couple things to that. So one is that even 10, 10, 15 years ago, if you looked at the statistics, I mean, there was, it's a, a tiny percentage. I can't remember what the what the actual um, demographics are of, of gender dysphoria, but it was something like, I'm guessing like, like one in 10,000 or something like a, a tiny fraction of the population and the majority, something like nine out of 10 were boys. So it was primarily um, a, a young male phenomenon in, uh, you know, in the in the psychiatric condition or whatever is how, how it was considered. Nowadays, it's orders of magnitude more prominent and primarily in in like teenage girls so there's and of course that led um that led some researchers i can't remember her name but there was this one um you know one psychologist who wrote a paper that was on this subject positing this rapid onset gender dysphoria to kind of distinguish it from everything that had been experienced before um, to, to try to capture this phenomenon that there's something else going on this get, gets back to one of the options mark laid out about this being essentially a, a fad um, you know, in, in the psychological community, they'd call it like a psychogenic illness. It's like a, it's like suicide clusters, where <clears throat> in a in a specific environment, you might have like a, a a teenage suicide, and then you'll see that suicides will crop up um, at a higher rate than normal around that suicide. You know, people at the same school, um, people at, at kids at closer schools. And um, so you'll see these suicide clusters and it's a, it's a, you know, a, a, it's an accepted phenomenon that, you know, if there's a big suicide and it happens, you're going to find more suicides. So this researcher was positing rapid onset gender dysphoria. So this will be where you have like a, an entire peer group of girls, like, like uh, 
seven girls who are all friends and then six or all seven of them in a very short time will all start you know identifying as transgender so there's something else going on um to along the point of the the steel man argument you look okay well look at the the previous how things used to be um now that take that as a kind of baseline now of course it's possible that that it's not that that baseline isn't isn't the same today as it was 10 or 15 years ago it might even be higher because you do get um, because all sorts of mental illness have increased and uh, have increased in time, you know, especially over the past 10, 15 years. If you look at like Jonathan Haidt's work, where um, teenagers, especially, what was it especially? Well, teenagers, you, you, the, the rates of even like anxiety and depression are going through the roof, um, or at least increasing um, at a fast rate. And so so that there's probably i'd say there's at least two possibilities there that you you might have an actual increase in the in the the frequency of actual like traditional gender dysphoria as well as a a, a huge new phenomenon that's increased as well which is this rapid onset form which like as mark says there might be a, a lot more going on here and i'd say i'd agree with mark probably is a lot more going on here um but limiting what I'll say, you know, to to this this sphere of of discourse, if we look at that smaller percentage, this is along the lines of what Luke was saying. Um, in I wrote I wrote a piece. I think it was on the the school shooter recently, um, the transgender school shooter. And in the comments, someone had brought up Wendy Carlos. I don't know if everyone's familiar with Wendy Carlos, um, composer. She did the the soundtrack for like Clockwork Orange, um, the kind of the classical music using electronics, um, using synthesizers. And I'd always thought that Wendy Carlos was a woman. And in the so in the comments, it was like uh, she actually wasn't. It was a it was a guy. She was, and this was in the seventies, like sixties and seventies. And so I looked it up, looked her up a bit, and coincidentally, I I'd, I'd just seen like scrolling through Facebook the week before a clip. Of Wendy Carlos demonstrating her like synthesizer techniques and all the equipment she was using, and she had uh, um, she had the like these sideburns, and I'm like, wow, why is she pretending to be a, a guy? It's kind of weird, but kind of fun, you know. I guess artists will always like that. And in, then in the comments, some this someone had said, oh well, yeah, and in those videos of of him um, with the sideburns, it looks like a looks like a guy. Um, a guy pretending to be a woman or something, but I had the total opposite impression. I was like, oh, it, this is obviously a woman pretending to be a guy and dressed as a guy for some reason. And so the, just as an example of a case where um, it's like you you seeing, well, I see John's got his hand up. Do you have something to say there? John, you're you're muted. Finish your point, uh, and then. Uh, well, no, I've, I'm just kind of trailing off. It was it, just as an example of, um, like, um, at that at that time period, you would find people that did seem to, did seem to, um, to like at an older age, genuinely, like Luke was saying, have this long term, um, long term, like steady dysphoria to the point where they did seem like they were more comfortable on the whole presenting as the opposite sex and kind of like to take a kind of libertarian perspective it'd be like okay you know i'm okay with that 
Um, and especially in the case of, of someone like Wendy Carlos, where for like to any casual observer, you'd actually think that she was a woman. And it's not, it's not like she's um, this obvious guy getting off on, you know, like an autogynephiliac or something. It's not like she's a guy getting off on presenting as a, as a woman, which is pretty obvious when you see it. Um, so I just, I was just bringing her up as an example of that. Yeah. So, um, speaking of the rapid onset gender dysphoria, uh, so Mark in his introduction, he, uh, he mentioned Munchausen's by proxy. And I, I think, so social contagion inside the sort of teenage girl, um, milieu is certainly a factor here but we also have to look at the sociological and institutional context in which these girls are growing up uh, because teenage girls quite especially are very sensitive to what's expected of them and they like to be good right um so on the one hand you've got a lot of parents who have absorbed the idea that you know, trans is beautiful and allyship is really morally important and and so on. And it certainly seems to be the case, you know, what with all the drag queen story hours and such, uh, the pride flags everywhere, that, you know, you have parents who are kind of subtly indicating to their kids that, uh, you know, it wouldn't be such a bad, I would accept you whoever you are, meaning, you know, I want you to be this, right? And then you have the case of Je the Jeff Younger case in Texas, where, um, the, uh, the mother, I mean, they're divorced, the mother got custody and then seems to have gaslit one of the twin boys into thinking he's a girl, got him socially transitioned and then, you know, absconded with him to California to start the actual medical transition. Um, whereas when, with, when the boy was with his dad, he, uh, you know, I, was a boy, right? Um, and then there's the institutional context, what's happening in the schools. So one thing that I have noticed for years now, and I'm not the only one to point this out, is if you compare teenagers visually now with teenagers from the 1990s, 1980s, anytime back to you know the 1950s, um, the, I think the most notable thing is the absence of visual subcultures that you can identify by the fashions that they wear. They all look pretty much just, they just dress normally, right? With the sole exception of the gender people who immediately stick out because of, you know, the hair and frequently the obesity, <laughs> frankly, and just like the kind of the, the sort of slightly punkish look. I mean, we all know the look, right? And they're the only group of teenagers that that are identifiable uh, as their own kind of subculture. Um, and, you know, previously, the subcultures that would adopt the most outrageous fashions were your kind of your, your rebels, you know, the stoners, the punks, the goths, goths. and so on. Goths. I miss goths. Goths were great. Uh, <laughs> and, and now, though, I mean, like, the uh the the gender warriors are not rebelling against the institutions the institutions have their full backs right so these kids are they're growing up in an institutional context where the progressive stack has become uh sort of embedded in everything about how they're taught 
you know, all the critical race theory, all the feminism, like all of these things that establish this hierarchy of oppression that the kids are growing up in. So if you are a white kid, particularly, uh, you are automatically at the bottom of that stack. You have a, as as a, as the Maoists would put it, uh, a black identity, a bad identity. Um, but you can get a red identity, a good identity. You can go right to the top of the progressive stack simply by saying, oh, actually, my pronouns are they, them. And now, you know, you have a more oppressed identity than uh, the black girl or, you know, the Indian boy or, or what have you. Um, and because you have the more oppressed identity, no one can touch you. The teachers can't touch you. The other students can't touch you. You can destroy the other students just by claiming that they are transphobic or something like that. You get a lot of power out of this. You basically become the ultimate hall monitor. And the outrageous fashion that they have uh, adopted is the visible symbol of the fact that you should not mess with them, that if you do, they will bring the house down on your head and destroy your life. And then the fact then you know, all of the other students, the ones who don't go down that path, who sort of just dress normally, it's almost like they're trying to avoid being noticed, to blend into the background, to avoid drawing the eye of Sauron, basically. Um, so I, I think that's sort of uh, an important context to look at. Um, just one more quick thing I want to say, because I want to go back to what Luke was mentioned about um, talking about like this kind of idea of, you know, man as a bridge between sort of the higher and the lower, right? And I think that's very true, but I think that frequently gets misunderstood as this idea that we evolve by transcending matter uh, and sort of becoming pure mind. You see this all through science fiction, for example, like the ultimate evolved beings or these, these energy beings, or they've uploaded their consciousness into computers or, or you know, what, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it, I think that fundamentally misunderstands what it means to evolve because, you know, if you think about it, you know, at a most basic level, materially, tautologically, we're, we're material, right? Like we're made of matter. Um, and that's true for a rock and it's true for a human being. And as something which is made of matter, we are subject to the rules of matter. If you jump off a building, you will fall and die. Just like if you throw a rock off a building, it will fall down and crack. Uh, similarly, at a level above that, we are biological. We have instincts, we have needs, you know, like any other animal, if we do not eat, if we do not breathe, if we do not go to the bathroom, uh, we will die. Um, and that does not change just because we happen to have large brains. The large brains, the fact mean that we can access the higher realms to a certain degree. That's the kind of bridging function that we have. But it does not mean that we can neglect what is what the the lower aspects of our nature, right? Um it's a foundation and the foundation has to be strong. So when they try to cut themselves off from that foundation by sort of becoming pure mind, you end up going really off the rails and hurting yourself very badly. Uh, yeah. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Yeah. Uh, just be Mark's, before Mark's we hand has been up for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we go to Mark, just a, a very quick response. Um, I think that's uh, that's a good point about the you know mind matter relationship. 
And uh, it seems to me that there's a, this dialectic going on, which which seems to happen quite often, right? So you have one camp basically going to an extreme, then you have the other camp going to the other extreme. And uh, when you actually, you you would need to find like a more a wiser approach, you know, a more balanced uh, approach and not even the middle, but something like smarter you know and uh, and in in this case it's like you know you have the the Dawkins crowd or like the diehard materialists you know deny free will and reduce you know like humans to just a bunch of uh, like little thingies inside uh that control everything and then on the other hand you know, have the counter reaction where people go like oh we are just totally free in our minds you know we never need to go to the bathroom you know <laughs> If we don't want to, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, but uh, Mark, uh, go ahead. Okay, thanks. All right. So everybody said so many things that I want to respond to. But the first thing is that, okay, so, all right. So allow me to steel man. I'm going to steel man trans even more before I take a blowtorch to it. And the way I'm going to steel man it is this. Uh, so every society I've ever read about that has ever existed has had some line in the sand of age, some demarcation line past which human beings are allowed to make big decisions. You know, and for us in the modern West, this basically translates to contract law. When you, when can you sign contracts? And that varies, but basically it's sometime in the late teens, early twenties. Uh, and so the way I'd steal me on the legality of uh, transgender surgeries and the like, is the same argument I, I give for steel manning, steel manning free speech, you know, because because certain bad things might be said or done, and some bad decisions will lead to ruin, and maybe even civilizational ruin. But the risks for making them illegal outstrip the risks for allowing us to choose. But when we again we choose at a certain time, we every society says, well, there's a time when you're capable of making a big choice or taking a big step. And so that said, have you noticed how quickly the cheerleading shifted from consenting adults to children in the trans conversation? It's that, it's that kind of sharp and sudden change that should make everyone suspicious, right? So I think like the sudden fanatical drive to make this not just a tolerated social norm amongst consenting adults, but to champion it as the arrival of some great new truth, you know, like the Leninist model of truth, of great leaping, terrifying things, right? And that, and that has to do, for me, with the recent passage of the, the millennia. And I spoke about this during climate change, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think this part of the phenomenon overlaps a whole lot with the doomsday cult that fixates on climate change, you know? Or maybe we should call it climate transition, or climate transformation, right? Because, and I think that's because large numbers of people are on the hunt for some kind of rapture that transcends the material. They are craving big, sudden, total transformations, whether it's of weather, whether it's of sexual mores, whether it's of uh, political systems. And I think that's because, you know, deep down, like they want these things to have a spiritual component because they sense that that's where real meaning exists, but it's been stolen from them. You know, the problem is there's a, there's this big ass God-shaped hole where that kind of transformation usually happens, you know? And, and like I said, nature abhors the vacuum. And I think it's possible that you know, other kinds of agents, other kinds of animated forces 
or animating forces, I should say, you know, you know might might take up residence in that in that hole in that void. You know, and and but but either way, they wind up saying a bunch of weird, sciencey sounding bullshit. You know, at at the end of the day, it translates to, oh, he was born with a female soul, or she was born with a male one. But without having to grapple with what kind of spiritual realities such illogical definitions and combinations of flesh and spirit would reflect and what kind of goals they might serve, you know, I mean, again, controversial, but in my own language model, those would be the devil's goals, which are essentially oh, make everyone lonely, scared, angry, and destructive, including self-destructive. And I, but I think even an atheist should consider that there might be religious motives and organizations in play here, regardless, say there is no higher world or lower world, right? I, I think they would be especially respected to the idea that devil worship can be both delusional and real, like in, in the sense of actually happening, in the sense that there are people out there, deluded as they may be, that believe that the devil is real and can give them powers. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned that a few months back when I spanked the bad cat for it, right? I'm guessing, you know, the majority of trans cheerleaders might look at the rainbow flag and think nothing of it. You know, if I mention it was the banner of the cult of Ishtar in ancient Babylon, whose rites included the ritual feminization of men and masculinization of women, the most they probably say is, ah, oh, it's just a coincidence. You know, even if you point out the way that trans has essentially swallowed all the other non-dimorphic sexual kinks and categories, you know that the flag has now come to symbolize transgenderism more than any other kind of fetish or, or sexual identity, you know, you'll probably, they'll probably just give you a blank stare. And, and I think that's because they misunderstand a fundamental quality of devil worship or, and of Satanism in particular, which is that it defaults to the occult, you know, by which I mean like maintaining secrecy until victory is at hand. You know, that's a key part of the liturgy. I know a bit about this. And so when Sam Smith performs a ritual at the Grammys or Rihanna does one at the Super Bowl or Travis Scott at Astroworld, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that they're all, you know, some sort of witting accolades, you know, using dupes as part of the whole racket. It's part of the, it's a real religion. And this is part of what they say, you know. And so the same goes for like the perverted adults that see the like, trans as a new avenue where they can sexually abuse kids. They don't need to believe in anything at all behind their, behind, beyond their own sick desires. They don't need to be, believe in anything but me. But if we speculate that there are powerful men and women who believe they spiritually profit from, build it, you know, from building this framework for mass abuse, then something like modern Disney's trans obsession starts to make a whole lot more sense. You know, and so they march together under the cloak of these old banners and symbols. They design Balenciaga ad campaigns featuring little kids with satanic symbols. They choreograph Super Bowl halftime shows. And all of it is disguised in the sunny language of what? Of kindness and tolerance and respect. It's even disguised in science-like terms. You know, developmental poison, development poison, like puberty blockers, is called medicine. Uh, permanent sterilization and sexual mutilation is called gender affirming surgery. You know, I think I think the enemy, the real enemy, hides in this total wasteland of postmodern language. Whether it's spiritual, whether it's material, you know, everything is the opposite of what it is, but with more syllables. 
You're, you're not being castrated. You're being liberated from the horrors of the penis. You're not getting your tits chopped off. You're becoming a man, you know. And, and, and this, is, this is where it becomes, for me at least, I look at it and I try to say, yes, there are people that profit at all levels from any kind of evil. And, and this is no different. Mark, you spin fire there. Mark the prophet. Thank you. Drive through. John? Oh, John took it. Yeah, it's to build on what Mark was saying there. Um, there's a long history of religious movements involving some form of excruciation of the flesh or denial of life or um uh you know sacrifice of children you know the carthaginians and moloch for instance and you know you have all of the various um christian groups that would whip themselves or starve themselves or you know all the all these kinds of things uh, the aztecs of course come to mind um, there's so many examples of this that go beyond just the gender inversion, although you do see that as well. Uh, but then the contemporary trans thing is also an excruciation of the flesh because it involves surgery, uh, and particularly surgery involving the reproductive organs, the source of, you know, life for the next generation. Um, and then doing it to children, so you've got the child sacrifice aspect to it as well. Uh, and it strikes me that in most of these cases, um, I think if you if you look into like, okay, how did they, how did people come to think that this was a good idea to do? You generally find that they, you know, had some kind of strong religious belief that was maybe misunderstood, that was based on some kind of contradiction. Uh, so you know, like for instance, like the idea that we must transcend the material becomes an attack on the material in uh, the Christian tradition as an example of that. Um, or, you know, and in the contemporary context, okay, so like Mark said, they're basically saying that, you know, uh, God made a mistake and put the wrong soul into the wrong body. It's a boy's soul and a girl's body or vice versa. Um, but these people are also atheists. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in souls. So, you know, they, they, they're, they're pure materialists. Um, but then if it's pure matter, you're nothing but your body, then how how can, like, it doesn't make sense. It's completely incoherent, right? And John, um, you know, logic is a white supremacist construct. Yeah, well, exactly, right? Uh, but then, you know, and you look at the Satanists as well. So, you know, when I, like a long time ago, when I was an edgy teenager, I got, kind of got interested in that as edgy teenagers do. And I read like, you know, LaVey and, you know, which was sort of misunderstood Nietzscheanism, I understood later. Um, and, you know, I sort of thought to myself after a while, well, hold on, you know, if, if Satan is real, if demons are real, if you can call upon them for favor and power, well, then that certainly implies that God is real. And if God is far more powerful than Satan, then why wouldn't you align yourself with God instead? You know, it, it seems like it's the, the the whole idea of Satanism also seems to be based on this like complete this this incoherent view of reality, this kind of incompleteness. 
Um, God doesn't God doesn't let you hurt kids, John. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, well, well, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, it's it, and it, and then like you know, it's all it all comes down to motivated reasoning. You know, like they want to do these horrible things, and then they construct uh, a justification for that ex post facto, which. You know, if you if you look at it from a distance without close investigation, you're like, I guess that makes sense. There's a lot of big words in there. But the moment you start poking on it, you, you find all of these inconsistencies and it just all falls apart. So that's all I wanted to say. Brand. So I, I'm just concerned about the. The issue with with the children, right? I think that that's the most important thing. And, I, and and one of you said it earlier in this discussion, how it went from consenting adults to all of a sudden now um, trying to ensure that children have access to uh, these decisions that are that have permanent consequences. And so I, I really only see two acceptable ways to approach it in a free society and the first is to have an age of consent that's non-negotiable where legally you know you don't allow children to make uh permanent decisions for themselves when you know at whatever age society agrees that they're not prepared to make those decisions for themselves um and that probably has to do with contracts alternatively if you're really wanting children to have access to that kind of thing the only way that you could conceivably advocate for that from my perspective is uh, by allowing the parents to make that determination and i think that would allow you know facilitate some degree of of horrors because i don't think it's ever appropriate for uh that decision to be like a permanent decision like that to be made for a child but i'm willing to defer to parents but at this time, you know, there's laws in California where they're trying to make it so that uh, children have access to these things in spite of the parents knowing. And this has also happened um, with healthcare in uh, in the Navy, where there's, you know, for contraception and things like that. Uh, children, you know, like a 15 year old is able to go and talk to a provider. And that information isn't made available to parents unless they specifically request the medical records. And so this, this trend in that direction, I think normal people, the vast majority of people view, view that as unacceptable. Uh, you know, trying to allow children to have access to these controversial treatments. Um, without the parents knowing is just, I think it's just crazy, uh, especially because we just don't have data and they throw out these uh, figures and arguments. Like you can have a live girl or a, a dead son. Uh, like you have a live daughter or a, a dead son, that kind of thing. As if it's a foregone conclusion that suicide is the only alternative to uh, gender affirming care. And I don't think the data bears that out. It's just not there. And so they're being disingenuous on top of it all. And then the only other thing that I wanted to say is about identity and building connection. And um, John mentioned in the comments, Dugan talking about uh, 
the liberation from all unchosen identities and that being a part of the trans phenomenon. And I think that there's something to that. I think that, you know, like me as a, as a man, right. That's a part of my identity that I have that I can use to relate to other men that nobody can ever take from me. And if I decide to transition all of a sudden, now the number of people I can relate to based on that identity has just been cut by a factor of a thousand. And then to take it further, you know, going into uh, transhumanism, where it's like, the, I feel like the very idea of our humanity and our ability to connect with one another on the basis of being human is, is ultimately uh, under attack by, by this ideology. But at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm fine with people uh, pursuing things that are controversial that I don't think are going to be effective but I'd like them to use their own money to do it. You know, and that's the other big problem is that taxpayer dollars are getting spent uh, towards these things. Third-party payer systems, you know, large corporations like with insurance. And that just creates all sorts of moral hazards where, you know, I, I really think in t- if we're talking healthcare, the way ahead is having that medical provider in that patient working together to come up with a plan and that patient bearing the response, like both of them bearing some responsibility for the decision that gets made in the long term, uh, And then also just in terms of how it gets funded. Uh, but those, that's kind of the sum of my thoughts after something uh, uh, listening to you guys. Uh, something just occurred to me as you were talking, Grant, um, and you're drawing the connection with transhumanism there and the connection with uh, this idea that's being implanted into the culture that children should be able to consent. And, you know, the, the usual critique you hear of this idea of minors consenting is that it's related to um, pedophilia, which I believe there's something too. But uh, there could be also something you know, Take something like Neuralink, right? Um, could it be that uh, it will turn out that such technologies are best implanted in young children while their brains are still highly plastic, and that enable to in, in order to make a human into a transhuman of some sort, you have to start as early as possible, and thus if you accustom the population both to the idea of uh the plasticity of the human body um in order to conform to an arbitrary chosen identity uh but on top of that you accustom the idea that children can in scare quotes choose to do this themselves at a very young age uh, this, this could be quite essential to the transhuman project. So that's kind of a scary thought that occurred to me. Um, yeah, uh, D- Daniel, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it, Grant, what you were bringing up about, um, you know, people with their kids and in uh, the California law in particular, you know, Chris Bray on his Substack has gone into depths in that, you know, uh, it's, it's I guess the bills are sponsored by this California State Senator Scott Weiner. If you know anything about him, it's like the last person that should be involved with making decisions about people's kids. But um, it's interesting because, you know, of course, the same people that would 
say, this is great. We need to give government the power to just, you know, take kids away from their parents because the parents, uh, you know, don't want them to get these irreversible experimental surgeries and, you know, treatments to change genders. Um, you know, the same folks that um, would decry, you know, for religious reasons, parents, you know, like uh, what Christian science says, you know, don't believe in healthcare at all for kids. You know, like uh, if, so remember there was some kids that, uh, you know, I think had like a strep infection and then wound up dying because a parent refused medical treatment that would have easily saved the child's life. And so it was just like, oh, this is child abuse. You know, the, the government needs to step in and protect kids from parents making these bad decisions about their kids' health. You know, and in this case, it's like, uh, well, the, the case of the guy from uh, Texas whose wife, I guess, went to California with the kid. It's like, and I'm probably articulating this badly, but it seems like there's a, a conflict there where it's just, you know, again, underscores that the ideology is just a smokescreen for power grabs. And, you know, oh, we're, we want power over your kids. We're going to claim that it's, um, you know, in the interest of the kids to do it. But whereas before it was legitimate, maybe, I mean, if you say that the kids in danger of their health being harmed by, you know, refusing proven treatments. And, and now it's, we're going to run this risk with your kids health based on something they told a guidance counselor at school, you know, and you don't have the ability to step in and protect your kid from this. Uh, I don't know, but I think I butchered all that, but, uh, but just going on real quick, uh, what Mark said, you know, talking about the spiritual angle of it. I mean, it's, it's, it, interesting you had this whole overlapping network of incentives where you know the they take away your identity in a, in a way by teaching you your old identity is bad or you know you can transcend it somehow and so it's a it's an identity that comes with this lifetime subscription model similar to like a netflix you know or, or music or whatever it's like you're now you know you can have the surgery but you got this lifetime of medical treatments you're going to need so it's like this this identity we're selling you a new identity so it's not even like the existentialist model of you know existence preceding essence and you can become you know or, or make a decision to become something it's like you can do that but it's going to require all this medical intervention and high-tech you know surgery and the, and the hormone therapy the rest of your life and all that it's like you know, and it just so happens that it makes a shit ton of money for the usual suspects who seem to be behind all these changes, you know, whether it's the COVID, you know, and the response to that or whatever it is. Um, but then with the, all right, one more thing, spiritual angle of it, like, I remember the part in the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis has um, the junior demon that's tempting um the the guy in, in the the or the human you know the the junior demon is tempting the human and he's warned by the elder demon you know not to push too hard if you push too hard you'll give up the game you know it's like if 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 you push too hard then he'll recognize what's going on and that'll push him towards god and it's it's interesting because it seems like that's a way of arriving at theism is looking at how i mean i mean it, as a description of 
how this all works, you know, you could look at hundreds of years or millennia even of, of these patterns and say like, there's no way a human on their own, just with their own, you know, if they're psychopathic, they're not going to be devoting themselves to a cause that's going to be coming to fruition generations after they're dead and buried, you know, it's like this type of coordination on such a large scale where it seems to conveniently always arrive at these places where, you know, these same outcomes uh, happen, you know, it's, it, and then where it's based on these lies that are so clever and so infectious, you know, they're like a mind virus, literally, you know, it's like, a, like the way a computer virus works. I mean, hijacks the mental operating system and turns it against itself and into just a machine to propagate more of the mind virus. You know, it's like when, um, when you have that, you know, it, it, and it, and the lies are so perfect that, you know, and then you have an explanation Well, there is this supernatural being that, or, or whatever it is, entity, egregore, whatever you want to call it, that it's weapon is lies, perverting the truth, taking a grain of truth and giving it a twist to, instead of, you know, misdirect you from something that would benefit you to something that would harm you and cause you to harm others. You know, it's like, it seems to be, have a lot of explanatory power, whether it's literally true or not, this idea that there's this demonic angle seems to have a lot of explanatory power. And then paradoxically, if there's demons, as John was pointing out, you know, there must be a counterpart, the, the whole symmetry thing, you know, there must be a God and um, I don't know. Sorry about all the word salad there with all my jangle, you know, mixed up metaphors. Nah, that, was, that, was great, science, man. that was great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I, I want to reply to something Grant said and then something Daniel just said. Um, so first on the kind of libertarian angle, I think that we're, we're in a strange position because I think if you'd look at the world even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we just didn't do certain things, right? Um, and partly because we didn't, we didn't need to. So we didn't need to have laws to like, the, like the battle between the, the California states and the Texas states with, with uh, essentially trafficking children to, well, you've got like Vermont and California and several others. So they're all trying to become these sanctuary states for, for uh, trans surgeries and treatments where um you know they're basically saying well it might be illegal in all those countries but or all those states but we won't recognize that everyone you know everyone can come here and avoid any kind of um legal legal consequences that might have come about from their home states so they're trying to create these kind of uh, law-free zones through their own legislation but um so and the, the all of this stuff on children, it just, you know, it, it wouldn't have really entered entered into the the culture, into the practices that we actually um, engage in as as people in in whatever society, in this case in the United States. And so I think that there's something there's there's something more to it. I think it's there's got to be more to it than just, okay, well we 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 have to I, I think it's important that we do the things that you said, Grant, like um, have this kind of absolute age of consent and give the the parents more um, more legal power. 
but the fact that that we even have to make those decisions or, or consider those as options means that something else is is really going wrong that the fact that uh, the fact that we're not already doing that without the necessity of of having those laws in place like there's something about the the wider culture that is that has gone so far overboard that those are just kind of like a corrective me measure that needs to be implemented but at the same time that it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't address the fact of why it's happening and, or getting at whatever the root causes might be and of course that's that's hard to do right it's not like it's not like it's easy to figure out what all the root causes are and to deal with them. So I think that's kind of a necessary step. I just I just wanted to make the point that there is something else going there. There is something else going on, and that might those those steps taken might um, ameliorate the problem slightly. But um, <clears throat> but but you you'd still have you still have all the parents who buy into it, right? The like you, and you mentioned this that you still have the parents that would that would offer that parental consent and you see that in like the the videos that of, of like the nurses in the clinics who are all like happy and and sweet about about how much care they're providing and how you know trans trans kids can get the treatment they need and it's like this it's like this just total um total brainwashing where it it to a significant percentage of the population it does seem like the the good and the kind and the caring thing to do. And I think that just as a, you know, as a society, we'd need to kind of brainstorm some more ideas for how to, how to, how to tackle that angle of it. Um, aside from just the, just the, the strictures that we might place and the, you know, the, the hard rules that we might place. And just one more, one more comment on the, on what Daniel said and what Mark had said at the beginning of the show is <clears throat> on the kind of, demonic angle here and this t ties into something luke had said too about the whole mind matter distinction and this idea of transcending matter and entering this even kind of like purely purely mental state ties in with what john was saying about the sci-fi thing too how we have this this image of the the transcendent being who totally transcends um the material body but the way the way that it seems to to be manifesting is in is in this kind of total rejection of the way the world is and from that perspective it's a, it's it's anti nature and if you look at nature as an from a like a theistic like religious or spiritual perspective if you look at nature as the expression of the nature of god or the nature of being itself then then there's something very anti um anti-reality anti-existence anti-god anti um anti-nature about this idea of uh, about this this conception of transcending and it's almost it, it it is almost this kind of elevation of anti-existence of non-existence um it seems to me like there's the there's this tie between your your essence who you are and and how we're expressed in the forms that we that we that we live and that we breathe in these bodies and when you when you with your with your mind and with your emotions um try try your best to sever that to say no there's some there's, there's this fundamental disagreement between who i am and the material world you're saying you're basically saying there's a fundamental disagreement between you 
and wider reality and including an, an essential part of your own reality, which is your physical form, which, in, which is the body that you inhabit. And I think that if, if you go into this kind of like metaphysical dimension, it's this, it's the end result of that is this kind of like obliteration of the self, because when you, when you totally d disconnect yourself from, from the, like the, the very basic reality of which you're a part and this very basic reality that expresses the, 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 the form and the, the, the laws and the mind of, um, of, of God or the, or the, or the universe, or just, just the way things are, the way things, um, can and should be when you, when you break that, you cut yourself off from, from reality. And what, what's the, like, what might be re the result of that is, is just like, just a kind of like extinction of the, of the an extinction of the self, a total like break with reality. And what, and what do we call breaks with reality? Um, like in just the, the common parlance and the, and the, the mainstream it's psychosis. It's a, it's a break with reality. It's not, it's not a healthy state. It's a, it means something is fundamentally broken. And so I think that's kind of what we're seeing. We're seeing um, a, a mass break with reality and a, a willful and gleeful break with reality. And I think that, ties in with just all the all the nasty stuff that uh, that we've talked about um but mark you want to respond you're muted sorry 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 yeah i just wanted to build off of some of the things that harrison was saying there uh which are, which were excellent um and also what grant was building off uh what grant was talking about because there is a there's a tension there, right? So the tension on the political legal side is pretty obvious. It's like, well, who is in charge of children? Who's in charge of their, the decisions that are made about them? And so the argument could be made if in anything but an anarcho-capitalist system, you could say like, well, you know, yeah, the, the parents are generally in charge, but at a certain point, the government, you know, or quote unquote, the society could step in and they could say like, hey, you can't do that to those kids, even though they're yours, right? Um, that's on the one hand. And then what Harrison was talking about was, I, I think that like, this is, when he says, when he says, in other words, like that, okay, well, these people are um, essentially rejecting reality. And I think that's instructive because like, I don't think that that's possible. I don't think it's possible to reject reality. It's possible to reject one side of reality. Like if we were to think of it reality again as a kind of supersymmetry. So what you can do in a small, in small ways, and then in, you know, and also in larger ways, in simple ways, in complex and dynamic ways, what you can do is assert one side of that equation. You can, you can, you can feel and and give voice to one. Um, uh, portion one one half of you know to one side of the mirror or the other, and maybe that's not even the, the the best way to put it. And so, like to fuse those two, to fuse the legal and political um, problem with the problem of saying like, well, they can't they can't deny reality. What they can do is they can reject life and striving and growth and the continuance of the experiment of life 
like the continuance of this project, this quest that we're on. You know, maybe maybe some people don't see any quests. Maybe they just say you're crazy. It's going to live and you're going to die. And like the span of years between those two concepts are essentially meaningless. And like that's that's the atmosphere that I was raised in. I was I was raised to be a nihilist. You know, I, I, sometimes I tell people I was raised half Catholic and half atheist. But in reality, I was raised and trained as a nihilist. And so uh, and 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 so when we say that, like people are running to concepts that are illogical, yes, irrational, self-destructive, there are all of these things. Um, but I don't think that they're necessarily unreal in the sense that they're making a choice. And it's a choice that, you know, it's going to lead them down a bad path. Now, if parents make that choice for their children, if they say, okay, little Johnny, you know, he's fighting these imaginary dragons in the sandbox. And we're just going to say like, yeah, you're right, uh, Johnny, those, those dragons exist, you know, and, 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 and say like, okay, we're going to get you surgery so you can help fight them better. It's sort of like this is, it's not that they're rejecting reality. They're accepting, um, well, first of all, they're allowing little Johnny to run them. Like, it's not even really parental authority at that point. Johnny in his imagination runs the show. You know, they're, they're really rejecting the whole idea that parents are in charge. You know, the parents, the parents are nominally, like, going to be signing the contracts and, and you know, dealing with um, the, the, the sort of the minutiae of like getting little Johnny on the puberty blocking poisons and getting little Johnny eventually, you know, hopefully this isn't the case very often now, but I have a feeling that it's coming, getting little Johnny on the, um, in the hospital bed to, to get little Johnny's Johnny snipped off. And there are people that are pushing for that. And I think we have to say these people are evil, whether it's the, it's not the children necessarily, they're fighting those dragons. You know, but like the parents who make that decision, it would be akin to saying to me, at least, well, parents should have the ability to decide, you know, to just sort of suffocate little Johnny in his sleep, let's say. After all, it's, it's their flesh and blood. Little Johnny's, you know, they can do whatever they want with them. They can make that choice. Or if little Johnny asked them to do it, little Johnny says, you know what, I'm kind of tired of life. Too many dragons. You know, can you help me out of it? Can you help? Can, can you, can you, you know, can you, can you smother me in my sleep? It's like, yeah, we could say if we were just looking at it strictly from a political, legal, libertarian standpoint, we could say like, we could say, that, oh yeah, the parents make those decisions. And like all of those decisions are, we, we have to accept. But if those are your neighbors, how much do you want those people to be your neighbors? And that's what I have to say. Yeah, I think going along the same theme of making a choice, I think it's the same choice that uh, Luke gets after with a lot of his writings on being on the path. And what Harrison was saying about um, being disconnected, I think ultimately you're, you're disconnecting yourself from the source of yourself by putting perception above reality. I mean, I don't view nature as. Uh, moral i think nature is amoral i think where morality comes into play is what we do with nature and i think our best chance of doing good and being on the path is knowing and understanding our nature and working with it 
And in that context of trans, it, it just seems so straightforward to me that the easier thing to do, the more optimal strategy, if there is a disconnect between your thoughts, feelings, and emotions and your physical body is to work on changing your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. I mean, those, like, there are ways to do that with cognitive behavioral therapy and other strategies uh, that, that's totally possible. But as soon as you, for example, throw hormones into the mix, it makes all that so much more difficult. You know, if you're a male and you're throwing a bunch of estrogen um, on, on top, or if you're female and you're taking exogenous testosterone, uh, the emotions that that comes with uh, are, are alien and different and new, and you have to process them. And so if you, if you had a chance of pursuing that strategy of trying to engage with, with therapy and really focusing on trying to gain control of your thoughts, um, your chances of being successful go down as soon as you start with, with hormones and, you know, then you can get more confused and then surgeries, you, you know, the, the next step after that. So I, I just think in general, people, people don't understand what health is. They don't understand how valuable it is until they don't have it. And to take a perfectly healthy functioning body um, and, and mind and uh, tinker with them in ways that make it more difficult for it to function uh, the way that it was evolved to function. You know, we, we talk about paleo for nutrition. It's like, what's like, this is not paleo, right? So that, that's kind of the stuff that comes into my head when I, I see people taking drastic action. And it's not just with this issue. It's, it's really with anything people assuming a lot of risk when it, when it comes to their health. Cause I think they take it for granted until you don't have it. And then there's very little you can do uh, to get it back. So I'll, I'm going to, I'm not going to say anything else. That was my closing thoughts. Um, Cause we've been going, you know, nearly an hour and a half. Uh, John's got his hand up. So I'll kick it over to him, but then I recommend we just go through the line and uh, everybody share closing thoughts and we wrap it up. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, so I'll, I'll offer mine, but actually I just wanted to like, Although one of the things you said about um, it always being you know easier to change your your emotions and thoughts than your body, and, you know there's a counterexample there. Of course, you know say you are in terrible physical condition, you're fat and so on, um, and this is making you depressed. Well, actually, the way to make yourself not depressed isn't to change your feeling about you know uh, being fat and in terrible condition. It's to start exercising and eating right to literally change your body right so it's it's not as simple as an either or you can always sort of find a counter example there and it's yeah it's a bi-directional relationship yeah yeah, sure. yeah it's it's and, it's all the same i'm just and, trying to and, trying and to give an example but i'm 100 percent on board. yeah no, i know i knew you would agree with that 100 yeah um i i think sometimes there's something of a tendency to try and and over intellectualize this kind of thing, you know, you know, spawned an entire theological discipline of theodicy, the problem of evil, right? Um, but 
at the end of the day, it's an instinctive thing. You know, you look at children being led down this path and it's, it's evil that there's no other way to put it. Uh, And you either see it or you don't. And if you don't, well, you know, maybe you're evil, frankly. And this, you know, you can try to intellectualize it, but it, it's it's a very instinctive thing. And then it's, you know, Harrison um, asked, I think, the most pertinent question, which is, what is to be done? Uh, how does society deal with this? You know, we can imagine various regulatory things, you know, uh, no, no, no teaching gender theory to toddlers, like in Florida, for instance. Um, but a lot of this does seem like a Band-Aid on a sucking chest wound. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, that the devil is ultimately a very ridiculous figure. Like, yes, he is evil, but he is absurd because his, his worldview is so fundamentally contradictory. He is so blind. He sees only what he wants to see and not what is really there. And because he is absurd, the way to exercise the devil is to laugh at him. And this is something that I think the culture has been doing increasingly over the last several years. You know, you don't show up to drag queen story hour and yell and shout and scream. You know, first of all, the cops will just arrest you. But, you know, second, like that actually just like it feeds the conflict, right? It makes the gender warriors think they're really warriors and not, you know, what they really are. Uh, But when you laugh at the absurd, when you tell jokes about the tyrants, um, it reduces their social status. And as that spreads through the culture, uh, as the tyrants start to realize that everyone is chuckling at them behind their backs, that they are a figure of fun, they start to lose support. They start to lose their confidence because they know that everyone's kind of snickering at them. And you know, okay, so you have this problem of all of these liberal mothers with the Munchausen's by proxy, right? Well, why are they doing that? Because they think it's high status. You have the problem of the teachers doing this in the schools. Why are they doing it? Because they think it's high status. You have the problem of the teenage girls with the rapid onset gender dysphoria. Why are they doing it? Because they think it's high status. So you, you make it so it's not high status anymore. And the way to do that, going right back to Paleolithic times, when the hunters would, you know, uh bring the chieftain down to size by making jokes about how big his nose was or whatever um is to make jokes so that's my closing statement laugh at evil yeah so quick closing statement from my side i think um ultimately um how do you fight the devil or well um i think you can only fight fight it or him or they um whatever um uh, by like whatever you know, whatever talk. pronouns he prefers to use yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure he has here. some preferred <laughs> i think pronouns, it's caesar but. actually <laughs> yeah uh yeah so i think it's it, it's got to be via um information jokes that sort of thing right i mean there's ultimately there's no other way i think than um I mean, you can do some damage control, you know, maybe via laws and stuff, but um, ultimately it's got to be like on the on the spiritual, if you will, sphere, uh, aka like the information war. Um, and also, you know, what what does the devil have to offer? You know, was was it what's uh, the, their 
uh, proposition. Um, it's uh, basically gaining power, um, knowledge uh, without effort, right? I mean, that's the Faustian pact, right? And that's what John and you and talked about as well, you know, like the status thing, you get status for nothing, right? For free. Uh, that's always, it's always the same thing with the devil, right? And and how do you battle that? I mean, yeah, it's uh, grand, as you said, it's like it's personal growth. And, and that is like working on, you know, the mind, emotions, and body, basically, it's, it's really that simple, although it takes a lot of effort. And some people might be like more naturals on the intellectual, in the intellectual realm. So um, they might have deficits with their emotions and body or whatever. For other people, it's different. But that's basically it. That's what we can do that what those who are struggling with the with the trans issue, you know, uh, can do um, change, change your thought, you know, you are not your thoughts, it's uh, uh, you, you are not you, your emotions are not your identity, right? Um, your body is not even like the, your full identity, you can work on those things. I mean, not uh, just by fiat, you know, that's the devil's delusion again, right? The, the devil's proposition is to uh, the illusion that you can change all that, you know, just uh, just like that, right? Without effort. No, it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of effort, and it always works within the constraints of nature, and uh, including the body, including the material world, and all of that. Uh, but yeah, that that's that's my my long term solution. Mm, yeah, oh, I don't so. know if I have any closing thoughts, or I'll be really quick, Daniel, because I don't really have much to say. Um, I think that the one one thing to be done is probably for parents. One thing parents can do is uh, severely restrict their kids' access to social media, and uh, I just think that's one small thing that can probably make make something of a difference. I've heard anecdotally from some parents that that that's uh, that that's worked. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't know. I will cede my time to Daniel. Oh, uh, I just want to say I identify as they them on my uh, tax return this year and claimed multiple <laughs> personal exemptions. Uh, I encourage you guys to do the same. Uh, now, the thing with this whole trans thing, my closing thing is just like it's obviously it's a war against reality. I mean, it's like on the Truman Show, there's this dome that it contained his little artificial reality and. You know, it's like you can do that on a very small scale, try to block out reality because you're not going to change it, you know, by wishing it were otherwise. It's like you can just create your own little space where you pretend that this is reality. But the bigger they try to make it, the more expensive it gets to maintain. As Grant, you put it in your great essay about us being a late stage bureaucracy. It was just increasingly inefficient. And, you know, the run by basically the grift that is the federal reserve and the u.s dollar um it's it gets more expensive to maintain this fiction and as it gets bigger and more outrageous that you know you're you know now leaving aside steel manning the transgender stuff there's legitimate intersex people like there's a south african distance runner uh that was like chromosomally male but anatomically female birth defect or whatever it was and it's like yeah that's that's a different scenario than what we see today 
where it's, you know, basically a Maoist way to give yourself a good identity in today's cultural war. It's like, hey, I'm a they, them. I just shot straight to the top of the victimology hierarchy. Um, but, you know, it's like yeah, that just becomes more and more expense, expensive to maintain this illusion as it gets bigger and more preposterous. And so the whole thing's going to come crashing down. I think like what John said about laughing at it, laughing at the devil, laughing at the devil's minions, you know, waging their war on reality and human nature and all that is just laugh at this shit, have fun with it. And in a few years, we'll be looking back and people will be, how the fuck did they believe that crazy shit about, you know, you could just put on a dress and some lipstick and hey, I'm a girl now and woohoo. Or even in Dylan Mulvaney, I guess, identifying not just as a girl, but as a six-year-old to boot. So anyway, life's rich pageant. Worse, worse. Dylan Mulvaney identifies as a successful advertising campaign. That's too good. (laughs) Mark, why don't you close this out, man? I'll give it a shot. Um, well, first of all, I agree with everybody, in particular, the comedy part. Um, and it made me think of something. I thought, you know, it's sort of like when I was a kid, and I don't know, you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of a early extra, let's say. And so when I was a teenager in the 90s, I recall that um, there was a, another sort of maybe sociogenic virus that was going around. And this was that girl's uh, teenage girls were constantly kissing and hooking up and stroking each other. They all claimed to be bisexual. Probably one in a thousand of them actually was. I'm not even sure if that's a real category. Uh, what they were doing was titillating. They were, they were attracting attention to themselves. They were drawing the male gaze, in other words. Gaze meaning G-A-Z-E, by the way, not the male gaze. <laughs> that's a different group. But in any case... So like, I was thinking back on that and I was saying like, well, Mark, transport yourself into this new reality, into this world, into the current generation. And I thought about what I might be doing if I was a teenager in 2023. And do you know what I thought I might be doing? I thought I might be organizing like a big trans soccer team or basketball team or baseball team, softball team or something. Like, in other words, I'd be getting a bunch of guys together and I'd say like, here's what we'll do. We'll all wear dresses. We'll all say we're she's and hers and all this other stuff just for this one year. So we could go and win the championship. And I think that would be hilarious. And I have a feeling there are some Murray pranksters out there that are up to it. And I hope they do it because these are the kind of things to echo everybody else. It's the jokes, people. It's what's going to win the day. It's why they try to crush you. They know how powerful it is. They know that to laugh at the devil is to defeat him instantly. Guy goes up and up, whisper spoke, whether you believe him or not, or, or if you just think of the devil as some combination of human energies and, and egregoric gestalt beans or whatever you want to call them like essentially yeah like like that is their it kills them like ray kills roaches they scurry away they they may try to put up a fight at first but they're gonna they're gonna lose that energy very quick and we would win overnight if you men 
uh, just said, like, hey, let's not get angry about this. And young women, by the way, if young people in general and, and old codgers like me, if we all just decided, like, hey, let's laugh this off, then, uh, then I think that uh, uh, victory would come sooner rather than later. And that's it. Thank you, gentlemen, for the wonderful discussion. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for joining us for Conic Discussions Episode 2, Trans. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, and we will see you all next time. See you guys. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>